Hello everyone, welcome to For Nord and Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. We talk quite a bit about how reality informs categorization, and even how categorization may also affect reality. This often leads us into some difficult dialectical terrain when discussing topics, particularly those with murky linguistic properties. One such area in which the titans of philosophy have experienced the same issues as your humble hosts is in morality and ethical reality. Today, we're going to discuss whether a possible solution lies in examining the issue under the paradigmatic auspices of quantum mechanics. All right, so I struggled a little bit because we have not had our normal warm-up this morning. No, no, we, we haven't, but but it's a fine and literate start. Uh, I'm listening to my voice and my pronunciation of the words, and I go, I could have used that that hour pre, pre-show discussion yeah, that we have. Uh, but. That, that, that's my fault for being a volunteer for a public <laughs> library, and we're having a book sale, and I have to go back and sort books, which is fun, uh, but... You know, I pushed us. So sorry for not the warm up. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. We'll uh, we'll we'll power through it. So <laughs> this episode is based off of a really cool article that you sent me, and then um, I've I've found a couple other articles that seem to indicate that philosophers and psychologists and and others are are thinking along the same line. So I said well, this will be something that's worthy of examination. Absolutely. Um, which is um. This episode or this article written by King, King and King, yep. Ian <laughs> King and Miles King, talking about how there seems to be, uh, you know, a possible relationship between quantum mechanical laws and um, morality if you look at it from the right way. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's start out by saying, what will we mean when we use the term quantum morality? Well, that that's that is the foundational question for this episode. And having read that article uh, just this week, but having read a Psychology Today article very recently as well, uh, within the within days, um, essentially what it seems to mean uh, is that we have to take four or five principles of how we as lay people can understand something about quantum uh, physics and uh, apply it to whether or not it affects moral laws. In other words, for a while, for a long while, well, for as long as Newton's stuff has affected us, uh, Newton's research on the laws of physics and so on, so a few hundred years, uh, people have sought, well, Jeremy Bentham sought to do it, Immanuel Kant sought to do it, and therefore lots of others, uh, to somehow do an algebra of of morality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they call that um, physics envy. Right? Physics envy, which, which is, is <laughs> yeah, which is interesting, right? Because um, it's when they laid it out in the article, I go, it seemed clear as day, but I really hadn't thought about it much until it was mentioned. But I go, oh, yeah. You know, I guess that in a way, Isaac Newton did shake up history and the way that philosophers and 
scientists, empiricists, you know, think about reality. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I and I have a a, a side uh, phrase that I have modified because of this article. I, I never called it business envy, but that's really what what so much of my profession uh what what has downgraded the 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 work of people in the humanities generally is somehow it it doesn't have a cachet of relevance to the administrative elements of the academic world unless it's uh empiricized and and business focused mm. So it's business envy or empiricism envy in, in that case, but it's, but it's related. It's, it's, if, if you feel like you have to somehow shift an entire set of studies to make them more scientific because the scientific paradigm is the thing, then you're going to have probably trouble. <laughs> yeah. That's what this article is about. Yeah. And I think that. You know, I think that the business envy, that's another good one. And that affects um, almost everything just as well. If you look at education, right, um, yes. the humanities are the obvious one. Um, and again, it doesn't even have to be in the field of education, but education has no. done it in, to the point of, you know, okay, well, you're going to come and get this degree and this is how you're going to make money with it. But yeah. even outside of that, you see, um, well, there was an article, I sent you an article yesterday, I think, yes. talking about chat gpt and and our our episode when chat gpt was new um one of the the things i raised was do you think it's do you think it's unethical for these models to be trained up on literary works that are meant to be um you know consumed but not necessarily um used in this manner mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. And yeah, it was we, a fine article. Yeah, and we talked about that. Now there's a lawsuit from authors that are saying, hey, we didn't – when we wrote these books, we never intended them to be um, learning material for this type of intelligence. Hmm. And I think in, in our episode when we talked about it, I think that you said that you didn't think it would be a problem because – the machine technically isn't doing anything that the the humans aren't doing, right? You and I would read a book, and then we'd talk about it with other people, and we'd come to conclusions, and we'd create something new out of it, and it'd make something. New. I was naive and wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that, that, that's my introductory phase to just about everything. <laughs> I was wrong, and I was naive, and I was hopeful, and no, uh, it and and this is this is all of this uh, concatenates all of this relates and it's been spinning around in my head with these things we've been sending each other this week because there was, there's another piece that I read and it's related to what we're talking about today that, uh, about the uh, five possible ways that AI could very simply get rid of us. Hmm. <laughs> and they're elegant and therefore frightening. Um, and in the sense of and the, the the alarms are going up all over the place. Well, we 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 can't, as if we, you know, the the, the arrogance and even saying it, we can't mm -hmm. let it grow as fast as it's growing. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's we let that out of the bag. That talk about Pandora's jar from last yeah. week. It is out of the jar. It is not going back into the jar. And and I think the important thing that ties us in is that why is it out of the jar it's out of the jar because of 
business envy, right? Yeah, you have all yes. of these AI developers calling for a halt to AI development, but they but they're the same ones that continue to develop it because they they want to have the leg up on the other guy. They want to be able to introduce the new product, right? right. That that right. that society needs. The so they're essentially internet. reaching out in coy. I I find it coy and disingenuous mm-hmm. for the the elite of the developers. To say, oh, help us, help us, do something, put shackles on us, uh, lawmakers, because otherwise we're going to do something terrible. Yeah. It's like an Oscar Wilde play. And, uh, and at the same time, they're going, oh, let's have threads. Let's take down Twitter. Let's, let's, oh. it's just amazing. We're not putting it back in the jar. And, and, and we're not going to limit AI to, oh, you can only learn this much. When does that ever? <laughs> we have social forces now that are trying to limit what people can learn. It's not turning out so well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it's not going to happen. I, I don't think it's going to happen with AI. So, yes, I was I was uh, naive and wrong uh, because we because the quantum element, yeah, you know, we talk the quantum computing, the ethics of the ethical morality, the ethical and morality issues having to do with quantum computing are very much wrapped into mm-hmm. into this. When you have the capacity, the unknown capacity, the 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 the, the Schrodinger like uh, mystery of what can be learned what what can be generated how how it, of course it's going to affect uh, moral principles and, and and laws so because as the article says as the king article says moral um, ask the question are our ethics are moral laws equitable with planetary motion laws hmm. And no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, it's interesting because, um, so there's a lot going on here, right? We're talking about the morals, you know, ethics and morals regarding AI developers, um, ethics and morals regarding, um, the use of artistic and, and humanities endeavors, um, and how they're usurped by business models, how they're, um, constrained and, and sort of limited by um educational institutions trying to f- make them yeah. business models um but also by education and and philosophers trying to through physics mv trying to uh, make them scientific make them empirical make them systematized in a way similar to what Newton did to physics yeah. but the interesting point to make is that Newton was not the be-all, end-all of physics. And so, this idea that, oh, well, Newton came along and created calculus and defined all the motions of the universe, and suddenly humanity took this gigantic leap forward. None of that is false. No. But Einstein came with relativity, and then after him, he denied quantum mechanics, which was a natural extension of his work. But others came along and said, no, this is legitimate and started talking about it. And now, sure, we still use Newtonian laws, you know, especially at the, the large level to, to look at things that are fairly regular. Um, but quantum mechanics has opened an, an entire can of worms that, um, 
really informs us about the nature of reality in a way that would be impossible to understand in a Newtonian framework. So this idea, this idea that we're going to try to find a way to make the humanities or make ethics or morals systematized out of physics envy is, is very, (laughs) very misguided. So, and, and I'll have to admit, I have been naive and wrong, right? (laughs) About (laughs) ethics and morals. When, when we think about, you know, I have a philosophy podcast, so this isn't something that I, I like to advertise, but ethics and morals have usually been the least interesting part of philosophy to me. And the reason was, I guess I always looked at it and I saw that all the major philosophers had developed these frameworks and it seems like almost all of them had pretty obvious fatal flaws where you go, well, that would that doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. And in some part of my mind, I go, well, you know, it's all relative, so I don't know even know if there's a point in really talking about it. <laughs> That's a terrible, well, terrible viewpoint for a philosopher to take. And this article really sort of gave you a kick, put that it, right in my face. Yeah, said, yeah. "Oh, this isn't worth thinking about." Well, look at this. So, I have always been fascinated with ethics. So we're in a, we we start from different positions, yeah, yeah. but but this article very much puts it in one's face inescapably mm-hmm. and 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 I, I, I as we keep talking we keep going back to that example of oh there's so many examples one could use but of of an ai developer saying oh you must stop us you know it's it's akin to a a college uh any college uh wanting to Get customers and 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 though and so um, advertise. Oh well, you can have a college degree while you're getting a high school degree. Hmm. Well, maybe, <laughs> and it was, sure you can get a, a you can get a degree that says that. But were you given a college education? Uh, arguably not. Yeah. But it's what what the public wants, and so the public saying, shh, don't shh, don't rock the boat about this. Okay. <laughs> Education ultimately depends on how much you put into it yourself and what resources you use and what questions you ask and how much you read. And so I, 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 I defy anybody who wants to say that they got a college education in high school to push really hard on that. How many questions did you ask? How deeply did you push? How much did you read? Mm. Um, and leave it to you to make that your, your own decision about that. But if it was about going out there and getting a job, okay, fine. But that's not the, but that itself is a, is an ethical issue. So mm. here we have the, the idea that, uh, we are being asked is something is right. Is it right always? Yeah. And, 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 and putting that on the, uh, with the idea of quantum entanglement, where a particle at this side of the universe and a particle at the other side of the universe will behave in exactly the same way. And, and so does a rule that we have. Do we accept that it's a rule that everybody has? in the same circumstance, no matter what, what part of the planet you're on. Yeah. So let's walk through them. Yeah. So we'll discuss yeah. the five clues that, that Ian and Miles King used mm-hmm. to equate morality with quantum mechanics. So the first one they have, um, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase these sure. to, to make them easier and, and shorter for the pe- listeners to understand. But the first one kind of essentially says labeling something right or wrong passes that judgment on to the past and future actions. And so that's sort of the moral or ethical viewpoint and the quantum mechanical 
counterpart is entanglement, which is this idea that um, out in the universe, there are, are two particles that are created that are linked together. And regardless of the space or time between them, uh, changes to one affect the other one. They do not have to abide by the the laws of of you know the speed of light because technically they're not traveling they're communicating and they're they're not they're not they're linked but they do not have to abide by that that law so um what do you think about that one well i think it's very uh, uh, first just as 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 a generator of examples it's it's clear that uh this idea of entanglement works uh if we take uh without naming uh specific names but if we take the idea that uh, a police officer uh offers a narrative of something that happened that didn't happen that way at all and kills somebody uh when all the evidence visual and oral uh points to that was not necessary well that happened in our country it happens in our country it's happening in France right now, and the responses on both sides of the Atlantic are and have been similar. <clears throat> and the responses of leadership in both nations have been similar. Shh, calm down. Uh, uh, this is attribute, uh, the attribute, uh, attributing factor is, is not because of bad policing. It's because of other social factors. In France, they're bumming it on video games. Which is patently <laughs> how many times has it been proven that it isn't proven at all? There has been no no empirical for the empiricists who love this link between watching and playing video games and going out and becoming a shooter. And if it were, it wouldn't be the kids watching the video games. It would be the police officers who are doing the shooting. But of course, we're not talking about that. Both sides of the Atlantic, slightly different space time, but I think indicative of just one small example. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that that's an interesting one. And I think it's one that we won't really be able to flesh out till we look at some of these other clues. Right. Right. But we can start with just the broad strokes, you know, and, and, and ask the questions like, um, so in that case, we consider that one murder, right? So if we say murder is wrong, mm -hmm. um, essentially what the Kings are saying is, okay, well, if you make that sort of moral judgment right now, what you're saying is that murder has always been wrong and murder always will be wrong. Yeah. Therefore, your judgment in this time is is entangled with judgments of morality in the past and in the future. And it becomes a kind of Kantian universal. That's that's where it's, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, and so we can see the problems that this creates that they're going to address in the next clues, which is that what I just said is much more broad than what you said, right? Mm -hmm. And it creates a lot more issues because murder, right? We Murder could be a, a police officer killing an innocent person. It could also be a soldier killing an enemy combatant. It could yeah. be the state executing somebody for committing some other kind of heinous crime. So this idea of of killing um, has a lot of ethical things that are predicated on the situation. Yes. And so when we're trying to determine these things, it's hard to just use 
uh, a overlapping or you know just a broad overarching statement about something you, there has to be a lot of context with it generally yes so um that leads us to our second clue which is right and wrong can only be attributed to actions intentions and outcomes among a few other um you know very narrowly defined things mm -hmm. and and the quantum mechanical uh, principle that this coincides with is is fundamental particles so you have um quarks and leptons and and gluon you know like all these different subatomic particles that basically you know what quantum mechanics is saying is you know that there is fundamental particles right it doesn't just keep going on forever there are things that make up other things yes and so in quantum morality um what what the equivalent would be is saying well everything's not relative you you can look at something and make an ethical or moral judgment as long as you are defining what that foundational thing is what is the intent of the person what is the action of the person and, and intent and actions are are must be separated from and they point that out very well from things that have no that are morally neutral objects are morally neutral so there are, so there so it it moves us toward nature yeah so morally neutral so we'll we'll get to that but the, but this is where that starts yeah we might we might as well do clue 2 and 3 together because i think it's hard to talk about them separately so 3 is Ethics can only work if actions, intentions, and outcomes, those foundational, fundamental aspects, are regarded independently of each other. And yeah. the quantum mechanical correlate to that is particle duality, right? This idea that um, when you look at light, um, we know that light is a wave, but we also know that light is a particle. Hmm. And so those two things seem to be contradictory or mutually exclusive, but we have experimental evidence, strong experimental evidence in both ways. And there's even experiments that can show in the same experiment that it is both a wave and a particle. So there's this thing where you go, okay, well, light, light is a single thing, and yet it has these two properties. And so in quantum morality, they're saying, oh, okay, so morality um is this one thing yeah. but it has these separate aspects that seem to be mutually exclusive and so they call it a single realm or a single dimension so when you you take a bentham uh, benthamian <laughs> bentham-esque uh <laughs> situation about the the greatest the happiness of the greatest number uh, yeah the you're talking about an outcome Okay, fine. But when you start bringing in the intention of the actor, the agent, um, or the state of the state of mind, or, or the action itself, then it gets really complicated. Oh, any any action is okay to make the happy the the, the greatest number happy? No. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is where I I lost interest in a lot of ethical and moral philosophy is because the authors bring up uh, you know some of the the key examples that that foil these these paradigms right you know if you have a utilitarian you know or bentham-esque viewpoint you say oh okay well it's just 
the greatest good for the greatest number of people. And the example the authors use is, oh, okay, well. Or the hedonistic even the happiness of the people. Happiness. Right, right. So if it makes 40,000 people happy to watch two people battle to the death, then is that morally right? And, in, you know, there's part of me that always says, well, obviously not. So this is wrong. So there's no point in thinking about it, right? Move on to the next one. Or, you know, the other one, if, if, if intentions, right, are it, then you can go, oh, okay, well, maybe somebody intended to do good and then committed genocide, you know, yeah. well, was that more like, no, obviously not. So I, I've always struggled reading moral philosophy because, you know, if in metaphysics or epistemology or ontology, um, even if an author doesn't get anywhere, yeah. you know, firm, it gives you something to think about and, and it could be right even though you couldn't prove it. But with ethics and morality, if you're not right, it's pretty obvious that you are not right. Well, you, you would think so, but think of the time in which we are living. Right. And this uh, is where, yeah. yeah. And this is where these two rules come together, right? To, to tie yeah. together is that what they're saying is with quantum morality, you can't think of all these things together. You can't say, that the actions and the intentions and the outcomes all have to be right because it's very hard to define a scenario where those things, not a scenario, it's, you could define a scenario, but it's hard right. to define a patterned way of approaching life and reality where all three of those things always line up a certain prescriptive way. Yeah. And so you have to, in order to develop a moral philosophy, you have to look at only, you have to look at one to, at first, you know, that's the, the rule number two is you have to look at one. And rule number three is you have to look at one independently of the other ones. So, it's, And then you find the inconsistencies and then the inconsistency should cause you to rethink your ethics. Yeah. That's where it leads. Right, right. <laughs> right? So you, you see, you, you first to separate these things so that you can uh, figure out what you're talking about, your intentions, your, your actions, your state of mind, or the, the outcome. But the moment you stop and start looking at those things, you are one hopes rethinking and reevaluating and that is the crux for me right now in the again in the in the, the uh, in american society planetary society too but i have this is the uh, the obvious hypocrisy of positions there there, there is a, a, a person this week um, uh, who is speaking on behalf of her spouse running for president and, and saying his main goal is to protect our children and our children can need to be protected no matter what. And of mm -hmm. course, my thought was then be quiet and back off because your attempt to protect your children is putting my children at risk. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and if you back up, lady, and think about that for a minute and apply this kind of reasoning to it, you might notice your own hypocrisy or inconsistency, which we all have, and and rethink and step away from the abyss. 
Yeah, so it raises this this really interesting question, right? And I think that that's what part of this quantum morality, which is a term that that I coined. They don't mention that in the article. No, but it's a good term. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so we're sticking with it. But uh, so I think that's the interesting thing that the quantum morality raises is that much like physics envy, right? You know, Newton was able to develop these universal laws that work very well for the universe and other empirical and unempirical areas have, have attempted to use that same format with essentially zero success, right? You know, people have tried to apply, tried to develop mathematical laws for all kinds of fields and it just hasn't panned out as well as it did for Newton. Um, and then on top of that, like we discussed earlier, Newton was not the, the be all end all with physics. You know, quantum mechanics came along and said, oh, okay, well, here's how things actually work. Um, so when we're looking, thinking about mor- morality and ethics, um, do you think that it's impossible to come up with a system? that can be applied universally? Do you think that morality and ethics is always based on the con- the context, on specific things? Do you think that the intent, that interaction between actions, intentions, and outcomes is always going to be unstable and chaotic in a quantum-esque way that will cause it to a time in one situation you may apply these intentions, actions, and outcomes. And in another situation, you may apply the opposite ones and still have a coherent moral or ethical framework. There are a lot of questions that you've embedded in that (laughs) wonderful (laughs) narrative question. I think that a universal ethics is unachievable by humans as we have known them from the moment that we find history developing because of our inconsistencies, our quantum inconsistencies. I, I, and, and, and because of the, of the, uh, of some of the paths that we choose or, or the illusion of choice happens and, and, and the very deterministic nature of what we are, leads us to these inconsistencies. But I think that the the universal is that we keep thinking, if we keep thinking about them, if we keep actively engaging with them, uh, because of the changing nature of being itself, the changing ontological reality, <laughs> let's say, the rules will keep changing because we gain knowledge. When we refuse to gain knowledge, the rules aren't going to change, and we see how badly that goes. When we, when we gain knowledge, we necessarily rethink conditions. That's frightening for a lot of people who don't want anything to change. To want nothing to change is to go back to a pre-Socratic <laughs> view of the universe where there is no motion, there's, everything is only made of one thing, Quantum sometimes heads toward that that part of it, but um, everything's static. Mm. There's no room for motion. 
that seems to be what uh, numbers of people want. It's it's untenable. It's unsustainable, to use that phrase that we use so often now. So there's something you sent this week that, that points to this. Uh, you sent me, uh, I forget where the where you clicked it from. It was an excerpt which talked about things such as look at um, how oil use change. Look at what happened, how using oil helped us preserve whales for a while, save them from extinction, except that then we got into fishing and whale meat. And, and, and yeah. yeah, so where was that from? Yeah, so that was from a book I've been reading called Power Trip. And yeah, the point yeah, that he made yeah, was, yeah. Um, you know, the world ran on whale oil and we hunted them almost to extinction. And then petroleum was found. And we were able to replace all the whale oil products with petroleum, therefore saving the whales. But then oil spills and the effects, you know, the environmental effects of petroleum are now killing the whales or with forestation, right? So we were, we were deforesting the entire planet because we were using so much wood to, to power our, our stoves and to heat our buildings and things. And then coal was found and coal was much more clean and efficient. And that allowed the forests to regrow and, uh, you know, and that sort of thing. But now coal also has had environmental impacts right. that are, are causing, um, you know, forests to, to struggle. So that's a very good example, right? That, so what is, should we say that it's immoral to use coal or oil? No, because at some, at one point in time, it was the correct decision in order to save the planet. But right? it wasn't an, a, a, a universal and always practicable right uh, position exactly and so and so that that addresses the question that I was asking which is that if, is there a universal or moral moral ethical code that you could live by yeah, there there and, may well be and that is to always rethink the code yeah because <laughs> so and we're simplifying it here yeah, by just very, very using much. actions intentions and outcomes because there are other things to play into but i think it just creates a, a simple enough picture that it allows us to talk about it in a coherent way and it does cover um the the properties of it but you know basically if you you can assign right or wrong to either one of those three conditions and you can think up a scenario where it would be moral or ethical to do so you could have a bad intention bad actions but have a good outcome and it could be a moral thing or you could have good intentions and good inactions and a yeah. bad outcome and it could yeah. be a moral thing yeah. you can go all the way down the list i did an example of this just yesterday i was going into work and as i was approaching the door on the concrete pad i saw some ants in a death spiral i don't know if you've seen this but um it's where a lead ant who's trying to find food is is putting out a pheromone for other ants to follow him but he loses his way and starts just walking around a circle and so all the ants that are following him start walking around a circle and eventually no, they'll they'll just die in a pile because they will have gotten lost the huh. lead ant will just be in the middle and the rest of them will just start so i see these ants forming this spiral i know what it is and um, I, without really thinking about it, just stepped on that pile and smeared it because I wanted to save the other ants that were in a line down the way from following them in this spiral. <laughs> okay. And I walked yeah. inside. And then 
the article that we've been reading and all the thoughts that have gone through my head go, was that the right thing to do? Hmm. Right? I just wiped out a few dozen ants in one step without giving it any consideration, right? Destroyed life. So, my intentions were good. I wanted to save the rest of the ant colony. So, you did give it consideration. You didn't do it without consideration. Without consideration would be, I hate ants. <laughs> right. That, that's not what happened. So, I had good intentions. I wanted to save the ant colony. The action itself, right? I would say the action itself is bad. Like you took, I took life. So if you take the the intention and the outcome out of the out of the equation, you just look at the action. I think the action is evil, right? Killing. But then the outcome. When I left work, there were no ants in sight. So it broke the line. They did go. The ones that survived did end up going to do something different. So I would say intention good, action bad, outcome good. Yes, right. There's your calculus, but what does it? What does that accomplish for you? To say, oh, okay. Does so it, now, it- now I should apply that calculus across. That should be my ethical code, right? From now on, I should do the right thing, or I should, I should want to do the right thing, even no matter what it takes, which is bad actions, yeah. right? In the hope that there will be a good outcome. You're, right? you're seeking the impossible fusion of deontology and. And consequentialism, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which which all, we all find our way into. But this is this is where the quantum the Heisenberg's principle, yeah, and that's comes. that's the next one, which is clue number four is merely considering ethics affects the problem of morality, right? And so the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, which is you know essentially the quantum mechanical correlate, is if you know the position of something. You can't know its its, it's velocity. velocity, and if you know its velocity, you can't know its position. Which so in this case with ethics, it's if you know, you know, just thinking about the problem of ethics affects the problem of ethics. I'm going to use an example from nature that I experienced um, yesterday as an intrusive human who does not know. What effects he had, but notice some ripples. Uh, I was in uh, a momentarily uh, grim contemplative space. I was walking out along my the, the, my fields, uh, paths that I've created, and and I heard this really insistent alarm. It was a, a, a bird, but it was it was obviously in great distress. And I was looking around and looking around. And for, and at first, I took out my my phone and used my Merlin app. It's not an advertisement, but I think most of us know what Merlin is. It was a a, a catbird. And then I heard a, a telltale scree of a red-tailed hawk. And and I'm looking around and up near a power pool at the other side of the fields, I, I, I see this this hawk pursuing this little bird. So I use technology on a whim as a guess, what as a wondering. I'm curious. So I was I was being a human interventionist and 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 sought very quickly on in my phone a red-tailed hawk call. And I put it on full volume and I held it up. 
and the red-tailed hawk stopped pursuing the bird, did a sweep around near where I was. The cat bird then came slipping around and started to try to attack the red-tailed hawk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so then I played it again. They both separated. The red-tailed hawk hightailed it across the field, and the cat bird stopped making its sound. And a moment after that, about uh, 30 yards away from me, I heard a <laughs> stomp, and it was a, bird, uh, a deer. <laughs> and then it, the deer got really exercised and was stomping and, and huffing again. I'm thinking, all right, is that as a result of having a hawk sound really near the top of the field grasses where the phone was? And so, you know, I don't know what I did. Yeah, and that's... And, and I had the intent... What? Of helping a creature in distress that I'm not even sure what the distress was, and maybe the cat bird had been trying to attack the red-tailed hawk all along. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I, I think we've all had this experience, um, like watching a nature documentary, right? We all see, oh, okay, oh, wow, that's a cute animal, right? And then that animal gets eaten by a lion or something. Yeah. And we all get sad. We go, wow, why did they have to show that? Or, you know, we're all rooting for the animal to get away. but. The thing is, if that animal gets away, the lion doesn't eat, right? right and then the right. lion dies. So, what's the morality there? there and there, and there isn't a morality, and that's the, that's the whole point. I, uh, with supposedly good intentions, and maybe not even justifiably that, maybe just sheer curiosity, I was, not, I was in a place of mind where I wanted to try to do something with another circumstance. I couldn't do anything at all. Mm. Yeah got to take action okay <laughs> and 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 that that's not necessarily justifiable either and I and I set up some perhaps some ripples that there weren't intentional so then I took myself back to a stone step stoop at my house and I just sat there and listened to the woods mm. and and the huffing stopped and the bird songs all started again and it was but the very fact of having stepped into that and then there, then there's a second thing, and I was reading about this this morning, where where there's worries about shark attacks in Long Island right now. Mm. Uh, five people have been um, seemingly bitten by sharks uh, over the course of this very early summer, which statistically seems is is a, a bit of an anomaly. But overall, with all the people in the water and all the the the, the statisticians are saying, the shark experts are saying. Stop it! <laughs> you're, 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 yes, randomly, uh, by ch by chance, there are going to be a, a few of these things. But what's happening is that they're trying to train lifeguards to watch for sharks, and they're sending up drones, and and they're they're putting lifeguards on these. Uh, it's not a jet ski, but it's something akin to that. I forget the name of the product. And and an expert uh, on uh, the shark expert in this in the state. Was commenting and saying, "Stop this! You are kidding yourselves." And so, this is probably an attempt to just make the public feel safer. Mostly, you can't see shark activity with a drone because mostly sharks aren't in extremely shallow water. I didn't know this, but I'm reading about this right in this expert. Secondarily, when you're sitting around on a jet ski, you're not going to see a shark. Thirdly, lots of people see bottles in the water floating. 
or 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 um, dolphins or you know and and so what he said this is the crux of it he said perception is reality for human beings mm. yeah that's quantum what we think we see is what we tell ourselves we see yeah yeah and that that goes back to what i was saying in the intro which is you know how categorization informs reality and reality informs categorization right it's this it's this loop where really the stories we tell ourselves become our reality right and so if you see a bottle in the ocean and you think it's a shark you're going to tell your friends for the rest of your life that you saw, you a, saw shark, a shark and that's going to be real to you you know it's one thing to lie about it and to know that in the back of your head it's another thing to to see the bottle and be convinced that it's a, a dorsal fin and then have that be something that you say and Undoubtedly, we all have these things. We right? convince ourselves of things without the factual basis for being convinced about them. Right. Yes. And we are easily self-misled, which makes us dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think something that you said earlier is very important. Perhaps the only universal moral or ethical principle is to constantly be rethinking and reconsidering your positions which is what this fourth clue is about yeah exactly so the fifth um clue is really throws a monkey wrench into the whole thing right it <laughs> says the indeterminate status of free will makes morality as a whole an uncertain issue mm -hmm. and this is the observer effect which is the is in the quantum mechanical um uh sort of similar principle so the observer effect says um basically you need an observer in order for a potential to become a reality so before you look at something a particle for instance if there's a particle that particle exists in every potential state but then when you look at the particle it locks it into being a specific thing which sounds crazy, but there is experimental evidence to, to show that this is what happens, right? And so, with morality, the indeterminate status of free will, right? That's the way of saying, you know, basically right now, in the next second, right? In the future that never comes, <laughs> right? There is an infinite potential, right? Mm -hmm. You and I, the next word I say could be yellow or in the next second the earth could open up and swallow us or in the next second aliens could come and beam us up or whatever or the, AI, those, or the ai has released one of the five scenarios the ai releases on, on a global scale uh releases the the coffers releases the kraken the the biological uh biological creations that wipe us out in the space of hours a uh, universal plague gone yeah so literally <laughs> in the future there's literally infinite potential mm -hmm. anything anything could happen there's just varying degrees of probability that they of what will happen mm -hmm. but once the future is here right i've already said yellow i've already said aliens i've already said you know, i had envisioned all kinds of things when you said it i've already said a lot of things in this episode that i wish i didn't say <laughs> <laughs> but it's done it's, it's in the past so now it is determined right and so with free will our idea of free will right 
in the quantum mechanical universe, um, whether you're, when we've talked in the past about the block universe or the expanding yes, block universe, yes. all these different things and, and their effect on it, but essentially, we don't know if we have free will or not. It sure feels like I do. It feels like I'm making decisions, but but it would. <laughs> exactly. But if space and time are one thing, and if, you know, the universe, if you zoom out far enough, the whole universe is there, then everything has already happened. So really, I'm just playing through a script. And therefore, I don't have free will. I, 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 the universe is determined. Uh, so if that's the case, then morality or ethics as a whole is really a mute point, right? Because nothing about it can be changed. We're just playing out the script. Yeah. So, yeah. what do you think about that one? I think that when he says, uh, when they say uh, that that some argue that all our decisions are shaped by our evolution and the environment, um, or by previous physical events, so it's an illusion. Uh, I think that's. I'm often convinced that that could be the case because I've read enough about consciousness and what we do and, and mostly don't know about it and and how I and the perceptions reality thing which means we we mislead ourselves all of the time. Well, if we mislead ourselves that way then it's entirely tenable that we that we mislead ourselves with the, with the notion of of ethics too. Yeah, I think that you've hit on it there which is um you know what we just talked about which is that our perception informs reality, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I think what that means is, on the on the big scale, it seems that we mostly get it right. You know, we'd we'd like to think what we see as reality is mostly right, and every once in a while we fool ourselves and we're wrong. Um, but as far as things being determined, um, I think that there is a certain amount that is determined. Because of biological limitations. Um, and ideological training. Yes, biological limitations, ideological training, phylogenetic adaptation. Um, all of these, there's a lot of forces and pressures that have been around since the beginning of humanity that have funneled our experience of reality into a narrow band, right? We've, we've talked about it in the past sure. all the time. We only see a sliver of the light spectrum. We only hear a sliver of the audio spectrum. Right. So there's no reason to think that our cognitive capacities are only able to examine a sliver of reality. And that sliver that we see, um, maybe we do get it mostly right. But that mostly right that we get it is akin to Newtonian physics, <laughs> right? There's always that small quantum mechanical part, which would be, you know, the stuff we get wrong, the chaos, boom, you know, something pops up, something we can't explain, something that we are unable to comprehend that causes us, that throws us for a loop, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's that one's an interesting question and, and relating it from the quantum mechanical realm into the moral or ethical realm is is really interesting to try to do because I think that you come to this understanding that kind of as we have talked about with free will in the past, you know, free will tends to be looked at as this um, polar argument. Either you have free will or you don't. 
Um, but that's really probably not the case, right? There are probably a lot of things and a lot of the big things that are determined based off of what we mentioned. We right? have free will to re- – here's where I come in on this. We have free will to rethink our, our – what, what do they call spooky yeah, – A spooky action a, a at spooky a distance. Spooky actions at a distance, which is what Einstein was you know, talking about. Uh, just the phrase, you know what he, what he felt about it. Uh, when we instantaneously judge something, If we don't think a little harder and then arrive at it, maybe we arrive at the same judgment. But if we don't think a little harder, then we're just acting according to what nature has taught us uh, or, or uh, genetics. I think if we stop and think, which is hard and which is counterintuitive, because we are generally not rational beings uh, then then we have t- taken an unnatural <laughs> decision and exerted what I would call some free will I, there'd be people countering now say no 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 that's built in your genetics too okay fine but for me that's where the free will is is most evident. And and so that's that's also wishy washy. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you think that this um, relationship between quantum mechanics and ethical morality is real, or do you think that it's it's just an example? So, if will a better understanding of quantum mechanics lead to a better understanding of ethics, or do you think that it's just sort of an imaginary correlation that we're drawing? I think it's possible. Um, I think it's it's much more helpful than the idea that the, this universality. I mean, it's not hard for me to think of something that I would want to be universal, and that's what Kant was saying. Uh, think toward what ought what you th- would have a universal principle be. Mm. But thinking toward what you would have a universal principle be means a whole lot of debating and and, and conceptualizing and uh, wrestling and implies a process. I really think that the 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 process is is important. Quantum computing as an example of where the ethics discussion starts, where the, the phrase quantum ethics is out there. Um Quantum morality is yours. Quantum ethics is, is out there. But the nature of quantum computing, at least as a layperson can begin to grasp a little of it, is, is itself um, chaotic. Mm. It relies on a kind of frothy uh, chaos, much like the surface of the ocean. Uh, very, very, very complicated. And and I and and so so is any idea of a sustainable ethics because it's always going to be in motion. Uh, we find out uh, at some point we 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 know that many people who are imprisoned are imprisoned wrongly. If we were going to just hold the line and say nope, they're in prison and therefore they're criminal, and it doesn't matter. We made a mistake. They're still going to be in prison. 
then we, most of us, I think, if we stopped and thought about it, would say, no, there's something really disquietingly unright about that process. And therefore, some people uh, go after it, bless them, and, and, and try to undo the wrong by getting people out of prison who or and and then is prison always the right thing nope it's the easiest thing um is prison made to rehabilitate that's what we said but it's not mm -hmm. and and so on and so on so the the moment you start poking at that in real and it's not hard to see it's that yeah nope this is goopy and wrong and it was not solid the way we thought that's where the quantumness i think comes into it the fluidity comes into it, and we and we have the capacity to to think our way through it and say, "No, we're making changes." I think that would be free will. Yeah, yeah. I think this this idea, you know, will advances in quantum mechanics result in, in advances in ethics? I think I want to lean towards saying yes, if for no other reason than for what we discussed in the episode about um, the five key elements to better rational thinking, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where, uh, you know, he talked about breadth of knowledge, right? No matter how unrelated two fields seem to be, knowing something about one will give you some insight into another. Okay, so knowing something about ant colonies... Gives you some insight into human motivation, right? Yeah, into ethics or morality. And, and morality, but and, <laughs> and and you know, before I don't know if King and King were the first ones, but before somebody came along, um, anybody else, my myself, right, with my sort of uninterested view of of ethics and morality, would never, you know would never look at that and say, how does this relate to quantum mechanics, right? It seems so, they seem so different that it, the thought would never occur. But to somebody, they thought about it and they looked at it and they found correlations and then they developed this thing that gives us a keener insight into humanity. I think that that is a key element of of being a philosopher, right? Is looking taking two of anything and saying, you know what, I can draw some insights about one of these things just by knowing something about the other thing. And one of those key insights is going to be that you know so little about that, that one thing that you're going to have to be cautious in how you think about the other thing. Were there... Did, I, did we share with each other this... There, there's something else I read this week that what you just said brings to mind. And, uh, it was a passage that was describing, maybe it was in the quantum uh, quantum computing ethics, uh, des describing how uh, with ChatGPT or similar AI, um, they were monitoring the, the thought process because it was algorithmically programmed to reveal what it was, air quotes, thinking. I didn't see this one, no. I need to find this and send it to you because it's fascinating because um, because the the system lied <laughs> by human standards um, to accomplish something that it wanted to accomplish. 
I, this was in the article about the five ways that AI could could take us out, and 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 and, a, and it was a, a relatively small thing, but it want it, and but the the narrative that the computer was saying, um, if I say this, then the human will not respond as I wish, but if I say this, then uh, the outcome is likely, and the the second this was a lie. Hmm. And what happened was that the human did what, what the machine wanted. So it revealed that it was considering lying in order to... Now, does machine intelligence have free will? Or is it lying because that the nature of that was built into it by the creators? Us. Right. <laughs> Do we have free will? Hmm. Is, yeah. is, is, is deception built into us by a creator or the evolutionary process? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and this comes into another article that I sent you about um, quantum mechanics and psychology yes. in, in the forms of consciousness and, and all kinds of different stuff. I'm sure we're going to be looking at these topics in, in some future episodes. I, I think it's, so. It's really opened a door and now there's a lot of interesting things to, to look at. But until next time, keep pondering.